Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Welcome back, listeners, to episode six of Plastic Model Mojo. Dave and I have a lengthy topic by our standards, and we're just going to get right down to business. Good evening, Dave. Good evening, Mike. How are you doing? This week needs to end. Work's been kind of a drag this week. <laughs> yeah, you know, get, you let work get in the way of your modeling. You, 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 need to, you need to reprioritize your life, you know? Well, hopefully... I'll get my mojo out of the crapper here. It's, it's yeah. not been not been too good the last. Well, I've had some interruptions. Yeah, but yeah. we'll get there. Yep, I hear you. So, uh, what modeling fluid are you drinking tonight? I am taking the last pour out of this bottle of Four Roses Small Batch. Still, huh. s- still there, but it will be gone after this recording session is done. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so. Now that you've managed to get through a whole bottle, what's your impression? I think it's good. Yeah. Do you, I mean, how does it compare to Bullet as far as, you know, sweetness, caramel notes, stuff like that? I think it is a little sweeter. It's not as spicy. I don't think there's as much rye. I think I said that last time, but yeah, it's good. I wouldn't refuse it. Well, good. Well, good. So it's almost gone. I got. I got my glass here for this, and I got just about a half more after that, so should be about perfect. Just enough to polish off a, so, a post-recording celebration, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And you, what are you enjoying tonight? Well, actually, I had intended, since uh, uh, our friends from uh, on the bench down under were thanks to you enjoying some very fine Kentucky bourbon. Uh, I had intended to, to spotlight Australia by getting myself a can of Foster's, uh, which you used to be able to find everywhere. Unfortunately, I was unsuccessful at locating any. So uh, my second choice was I am drinking a bottle of Wooden Cask Brewing Company Kentucky farmhand American wheat. This is a microbrewery from up in Newport, Kentucky. Um, it's very close, as a matter of fact, to uh, um, the Hofbrau House that I mentioned, restaurant and brewery that I mentioned uh, uh, an episode or two ago. Uh, as you know, I like wheat beers. This is a wheat beer. It's uh, very smooth. Uh, let's see, the alcohol's about just at 5%. I went to Total Wine and picked up, I went to their craft beer section and, uh, you know, they feature a lot of Kentucky and Indiana beers. So I picked this up. It's my first time having it and I would definitely drink it again. Hmm. Well, I'll have, to, I'll have to check it out though. Uh, well, that's a wheat beer though. Yes, it is. I'll it's, try it. It, it, it's of course a little bit reminiscent of the gumball head without without the hop on the front end. Um, there's there's just a hint of hop to it. Um, 
but uh, uh, not nearly the the strength that you get in the gumball head. But I think you'd like it. I think you would find it an eminently drinkable beer. Sounds like we're pretty well covered. Yes, we're fluid ready. Well, we've had a little bit of listener mail this since the last episode. Yeah, some interesting and, things. And Go I hear ahead. we've been we've been rated on. Uh, some people have been uh, listening to my pleas and actually been rating us on iTunes and the other services as well. Well, I saw the iTunes. I haven't looked too hard for the others yet, but yes, pl- please, folks, keep doing it. Yep. We, pre- we appreciate it. Definitely. All right. So listener mail. Um, first up is uh, Ian McCauley from Ottawa, Canada. And uh, he tells us that after taking the recommendation from the guys at On The Bench and Scale Model Podcast, he's checked us out. And he's now through episode three as he's working his way through our extensive catalog of five episodes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And Ian says that he's primarily an armor modeler with a penchant for World War II Soviet subjects and a growing interest in 72nd scale aircraft. Well, well I, I, feel, I feel like we, I'm looking in the target. mirror, or, or 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 maybe he's you. Did you, yeah, did you write our, this? Uh, you no, know, I didn't. He, he is definitely our target demographic. I guess, at least mine. Mm-hmm. Yours too. Oh, yeah. So, but he continues uh, that the uh, modeling fluid segment is dear to his heart as he's a Scotch bourbon and rye aficionado. Ooh. It's bonus points there for that. Absolutely. And then here's the best, here's the best part for you. Okay. Uh-huh. His spirit of choice is Anak single malt scotch. Oh, yes. Yes. We will. We will in future episodes. I can guarantee listeners that in future episodes, uh, single malt scotches will be making frequent appearances. Uh, All right. So you can have, you can have a go at the Anak. All right, we'll have to try that. That, that. That'll be what broke your wallet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, single malt's not cheap. It's a, it's a, it's it's not a cheap man's liquor. But God, is it good? Well, he he said that he had to ration himself on this one because Anox not imported into Canada. So, oh, I guess he's got to get it on the sly or uh, make a make a few trips down to. Niagara Falls or Buffalo or something and pick that up. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a email from Luis Diaz. He's saying hello from Florida. He's recently moved up from Puerto Rico and uh, basically says he's enjoying the podcast and to keep the modeling fluids flowing. So uh, no worries there, Luis. Yeah. Cheers to you from Kentucky. Amen. Amen. By the way, nice pronunciation of Puerto Rico. You did you did really good there. I try. Yeah, I've got a there's a good one coming up. Okay. Um, one one from Facebook, uh, Luftraum seventy two posted mm-hmm. a picture of a bottle of Basil Hayden's last week or the week before uh, on Friday. I think it was on our Friday evening. He, he did that. I don't know who this person is other than their Facebook handle, but. Uh, the Basil Haynes was a fine choice, and uh, we both uh, let him know that. And he ended up agreeing, so that worked out well for him. Yeah, Basil Hayden is a fine, fine bourbon. So this next this next mail, it's not exactly listener mail. It's from an email correspondence I had related to the last episode. 
uh, in the show notes, I was trying to put in a source for the Waldron punch and die sets. Cause I wasn't sure if they were still available because role models was manufacturing those and selling those after Waldron kind of stopped independent business and role models disappeared. Mm-hmm. So I've got, got to the bottom of it and I'm going to give this one a try. This is a French name. If it's the French pronunciation, it is Louis Antion. And if it's been Americanized, it's Anthean. Okay. Louis Anthean. And uh, Louis it operates a, a web store called Kit Links out of Sandy, Utah. And this is his second shot at this because he's the former owner of Great Models Web Store. Okay. And he is currently, I guess, producing and selling the Waldron punch and die sets hmm. because kit, kit links acquired role models. So that that's the link there. Oh, okay. So for the listeners out there who haven't perused these yet, these, these little punch and die sets are not inexpensive, but they're very, very useful. Speaking of what you're working on, uh, so what's on the bench? What's uh, I know you said your mojo had been a bit slowed lately. So uh, tell me where you are. Uh, I've done a little work on the base for the PT-76. I'm trying to get that done for this show coming up. And like we discussed last time, I don't really need to get it done. Uh, there's a lot of dust on my workbench. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> no, it's it's not good at all. Um had a big distraction most of last week. Uh, as you know, I have more than one hobby, and my other interest had me occupied for a long time last week and last weekend. And I haven't really, I've, I've not touched anything since the last episode, really. Mm. I'm ashamed. Oh, uh, well, you'll, th- th- this podcast is here to get your mojo back. So that's, that's what we're doing. Uh, luckily I haven't been in quite as much of a drought as you have. Um, I mentioned, uh, uh, last, last episode that I had acquired, uh, a copy of the new Airfix MiG-17. Um, and of course I could not resist tearing into it right away. Um, I've been building it, uh, fairly quickly for me, um, uh, if listeners out there Google David Knight's K-N-I-G-H-T-S modeling blog, you'll find a blog that I've had for years. And I post building updates as well as a bunch of other stuff, building updates on it. Um, so you can follow along and see. Plus, I'll send Mike some photos for the for the uh, podcast Facebook page. But uh I'm to the point where I've got the fuselage together. Uh, it, the construction is moving along very nicely. Uh, the kit's been kind of, uh, I won't say panned, but there have been back and forth about uh, its quality compared to what people expected. Uh, I will say that I've been enjoying the build quite a lot. Uh, it's uh, it's moving along, and I don't think I'm going to find I think I'm going to be happy with it when it's done. So uh, there has actually been some progress on that. My uh, my little Norwegian vignette uh, was stalled awaiting some uh, 
product, which I'll mention in the what broke your wallet segment, but I've acquired what I needed now. And so that'll be moving forward uh, relatively soon. Um, all in all, though, it's modeling slowed down a little bit, but uh, that's, I think it's much to do with, uh, you know, job and family and other stuff picking up a little bit. But uh, hopefully, hopefully I can make some good progress and we'll post some photos so people get to see where we are. Well, what are they panning the uh, the MIG over? <laughs> that it wasn't issued by Edward or Arma or... <laughs> This this is Spo spoiled brat spoiled brat stuff. This this is a, a, an irritant to me. Modelers sometimes don't appreciate what they get. Uh, I've been modeling for 30, 40 years. Uh, I remember what the bad old days were like, and we are living in the golden time of modeling. And one downside of that is it's led to a tendency for people to complain rather than appreciate. And, uh, you know, uh, this Airfix kit isn't, it isn't quite as good as the Edward MiG-15 or some of Armas or Clearprop's latest releases, but it's a fine model. It goes to, the engineering is fantastic. The, you know, it goes together well. It looks like a MiG-17. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to be happy with it when it's done. And if down the road, Edward or somebody else issues another MiG-17 kit, I'll buy that and build it too. So, yeah, sometimes I think we do. We're not as appreciative as we should be. Well, I'm glad you're liking it because you probably have a stack of them already. Not yet, but as soon as I get this one done, I can guarantee you I'll be acquiring more. We had more to say on the benchtop status other than uh, I got to get things going this this weekend. So yeah, hopefully I'll turn it around. Yeah. If I do, I'll post some pictures and relieve my shame. Yeah, well, all the listeners out there, get on the get on the Facebook page and give Mike some encouragement to get his uh, his mojo <laughs> back. He needs it. Harass him. Or a good thrashing. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, I got listener mail on the outline twice. So okay, that was some bad. Some bad planning there, but I will use this as an opportunity to uh, to mention the upcoming Roscoe Turner chapter Invitational in Indianapolis. Yeah, uh, next weekend, right? Uh, the not this coming weekend, but next weekend, March seventh. Uh, I have a vendor table. I'll be up there vending, uh, and uh, looking forward to it. I've been to that show a lot over the years. They do a great job. I'll be squatting at the table, yucking it up with everybody. That's right. Darn straight. <laughs> so it should be a good trip. Um, still don't know my arrangements, but it sounds like a lot of the clubs going up and they are, they are. Definitely. I've not been to that show in a long, long time. So I'm looking forward to it. It is a very good show. It's one of the better ones in the area year after year. And I, I enjoy the heck out of it. So if, if anyone is in a commutable distance to uh, Indianapolis on the seventh, have at it. I'm going yep. about three hours myself, which is that's an acceptable kind of day trip limit for me. So yeah. if it comes to that, I may, we may go up early. Yeah, but definitely, definitely going. Well, definitely stop by the table and say hi. Uh, 
So since you haven't been uh, building as much as we would like, uh, have you been buying anything? Has anything broken your wallet this month? Uh, not too bad. I've had, uh, I did buy a hot wire foam cutter. Oh, good choice. Finally. Yeah. And I spent, I spent the extra $4 and got the hot wire foam factories version. Oh, okay. Instead of the Chinese knockoff. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll be lo- looking forward to a report at some point down the road about, uh, uh, using it and what you think of it. Yeah. I've not, I've got a little test drive already, but not, not too much. I'm, yeah. I've got some foam on, on some upcoming projects here. So I'll let everybody know what's up with that, but n- no, no kits, no kits in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, well, and I, you, I wish I could say the same. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe yes, maybe no. Um, well, what broke my wallet? Well, number one, uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, I acquired, uh, through Brian at Scale Reproductions, uh, the some of the snow products made by AK uh, for my little Norwegian vignette that I'm doing. So I was, I really couldn't start the groundwork on that until I got the got those stu- uh, those items. And uh, through Brian's good offices, he was able to order it for me, and I got those in. They weren't cheap. But uh, uh, now I'm ready to start experimenting and see if I can pull off something that looks like snow. Um, Oh, for our Norwegian listeners, and believe it or not, we have Norwegian listeners. It's the fifth biggest country that uh, uh, in number of downloads for for our podcast. So hi, all you Norwegians. Um, I've got a photograph that I found years ago that I'm going to put on the Facebook page for the podcast. And if anybody can in Norway can identify the vehicle, it's a civilian vehicle. If they can identify the vehicle in the picture, I would appreciate knowing because I've always wanted to do something in a diorama with it. And, uh, but I first need to know exactly what the vehicle is. I really thought you were going to ask what color the snow was. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I know, I know from uh, Frank Zappa, you don't eat the yellow snow. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I did acquire a couple of kits. I got uh, Edward's MiG-21 PF, which is the uh, mid version of the MiG-21 in the series that they've done, uh, which was really kind of a hole uh, for a modern MiG-21 uh, uh as I said, uh, the MiG-17 is a big favorite of mine. That's closely followed by the MiG-21. And so I've been very happy with what Edward's been releasing uh, and was hoping that they would do the PF and PFM, which are the uh, the bridge between the early MiG-21Fs and then the later uh, MFs and, and BISs. Um, and they released it. It's a beautiful kit, like you would expect Edward's kits to be. And uh, uh, I'll, it, it'll move up the list quickly to get built. Uh, uh, if you're doing a Vietnam one, it's perfect for Vietnam. Uh, plus a bunch of other countries flew that version. So, um, And I also picked up at Brian's the Airfix 
uh, new tool Buccaneer, which uh, is a honking big aircraft, uh, really one of the prettier airplanes that the British ever built, uh, especially in the modern jet series. Uh, and uh, it's been anxiously awaited. And uh, now that it's out, I picked one up and uh, it looks pretty. It looks very nice. I know a uh, friend and listener to the podcast, uh, Jim Bates, has started building his. So uh, maybe I'll get him to see if he can post a few pictures for us. By the way, I heard a cork there, so I'm assuming we're yeah, getting the, a the, more the, of a the, uh, the Four Roses bottle's empty now. <laughs> My glass isn't, but the bottle is. Well, that's good. That's good. All right. So All I get right. to go to this. get to go to the store this weekend. <laughs> I tend well, not to keep a lot on hand because, yeah, you know, that can be got to be got to got to be responsible. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yep. And with bourbon, so, that can get expensive too. Yes, it can. So yeah, it's, I don't need a bourbon stash. No, no, Lord knows. It'd be nice, but you know, that's a lot of money to tie up yep. models. Oh yeah, it, it, people don't realize how quick, how easily you can tie up hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars in bourbon collecting. We got a special segment tonight on American kit makers, and to give a little background on how this came about, listeners to the other podcasts on the bench uh, should remember recently. Not the episode they just dropped this week, but uh, I think the last one before that. Yeah, it was. They did. They did an episode. As they provided a rundown of the kit manufacturers world worldwide, uh, with some commentary about quality and you know the types of kits, scales, that sort of thing. And Dave Goldfinch commented. Well, when they got to the U.S. part of it, uh, Dave commented that he'd be curious what our take would be on the current situation in the U.S. And their guest that night, I, I apologize, the name escapes me, but he's, he's one of their regular uh, in-house guests, had made the comment that, you know, it seemed the, the world's largest economy didn't seem to be a major player anymore. And, and it's probably a valid comment. Oh, it's it is a valid comment. And I, I emailed Dave, and as a courtesy, if he – Asked if we kind of ran with this as a kind of a tag along on this on this thread of uh, kit manufacturers. So I've spent the last week or so digging into this a little bit and trying to get my head around what what all had is going on now and and what had been going on. Um, at a high level, generally speaking, the current U.S. makers are really heavy into nostalgia and pop culture and sci-fi and they seem perfectly content leaving all these other players to cover all the real life historical subjects. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, when you first suggested this, uh, segment, I thought we were talking about a rundown of just the current manu U S manufacturers. And my first thought was that's going to be the shortest podcast episode we ever did. Uh, because, you look back on it and it is amazing what was 30, 40, 50 years ago compared to what is now. 
Well, it's not even that long. What what was 16, 15 years ago mm-hmm. or less? Nah, but going on 20, probably 15, 15 to 18. Yeah. So that said, currently in the United States, there are about seven or eight manufacturers making injection molded plastic kits right now. And we'll miss some, and there's going to be some nuances we're not going to get right. This is kind of a very general discussion with some commentary. Um, Those kit manufacturers, by my tally, are Minicraft, Glencoe, Atlantis, Mobius, Round 2, Williams Brothers, Ravel, that's seven. And then very recently, Pacific Coast Models was around within the last two years. But yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, so I'll crawl back up here. Minicraft, as far as historical subjects, is probably the biggest player coming out of the United States. But to give some background on where Minicraft has been, uh, in the 70s, they were the principal importer for Hasegawa's aircraft kits yes they were and then in the 80s and 90s they were the importer for academy i I remember the armor i think there was other stuff as well yeah there was um aircraft i'm sure uh don't know don't know what else Um, i'm not real sure when their original tooling started but i know most of what's marketed if not all of it under the minicraft label now is original tooling. Yeah, it is. It's not a brand I'm, I get a lot of, give a lot of looks to cause I'm, you know, I primarily build 35th scale armor and the mini craft armor in this eighties and nineties time frame was all really early Academy stuff, which was really bad knockoffs of Tamiya. Yeah. For the most part. So well, what, what are they mini, up to these days? Well, mini craft does, uh, airliners, uh, they're, very big in the airliner market. Um, they do have some, I'm, I'm hazy exactly. I know that Minicraft imported Academy kits and was their distributor here and other places. And I think there was actually co-production of some molds, uh, the B-17s, the PBY kits and 72nd scale. Um, but as far as currently producing manufacturers uh, in historical subjects, Minicraft probably is the the biggest volume U.S. one right now. Uh, a couple of years ago, they released a Mariner kit, which was much anticipated. So they are still cranking out molds of their own. Um, but... Uh, you far cry from maybe what they were in the in the 80s and 90s when they were starting to produce stuff on their own and bringing in uh, the the academy stuff. Next out of the currents is Glencoe, and you know Glencoe is is almost all nostalgia. Yeah, um, they they make a lot of uh, well they've got. Aurora's old 48 scale World War One kits. Yeah. They, they have the old ITC armor kits. 
and they have a lot of the Strombecker kits, which is a very old brand in the U.S., um, from the 50s and 60s, mostly in the Glencoe line. It's all the conceptual space stuff uh, that you used to see, right? like pop- popular mechanics magazine. They even got a, there were a couple of Disney concepts. Yeah. Uh, maybe they were, maybe they were in film or not. I, I don't know. Um, it, it's, it's funny. There's a kit that Strom, uh, Strombecker made that Glencoe boxes now, a space station satellite thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I, when I was researching this, I, I, I kind of chuckled because um, the original Strombecker boxing of this kit, along the side of the main part of the, the fuselage or body of this spacecraft, uh, says U.S. Space Force. <laughs> <laughs> they were way ahead of their time. They were ahead of their time. Unfortunately, the, the, the Glencoe boxing has got a different decal set but uh yeah i thought that was pretty funny um, well so, I so don't, go ahead I don't, I don't think glencoe has molded anything new in years and years and years uh i couldn't tell you what their last original mold was uh, i didn't know they had any uh well or last new mold or anything that they have done that wasn't right. one of those old ones so yeah they just they're the <laughs> These molds are incredibly durable, apparently, and, uh, uh, you know, they clean them up every once in a while and repop them and live off of them forever. So next next is a, is a company called Atlantis. And again, they were they're into nostalgia and pop culture. They they you know, they've got some of Aurora's molds as well. And yep. some of the old Ravel molds and some old Renwall. They've they've got a neat website, and you know I'm not real familiar. I'm familiar with some of these old kits, but you know I'm not. There's there's nothing new that I, Atlantis is not a, a a brand I've I've bought from. Yeah. But if there's some old Aurora, you need to check them out. If it's something you want to build instead of pay a lot of money for an original Aurora box kit as a collector's <laughs> piece. Right. Um, and, and again, something a company that's not doing any new molding, just nostalgia um, stuff. I, I think that's right. We need to double check that. I, I, there's several of these like like Atlantis that I'm, that that do are doing new stuff. But okay, we'll, we'll get that. Well, the next one up, Mobius. Again, it's heavily on nostalgia and pop culture. They. They, I believe I'm, I'm right in saying they, they have some old Aurora molds as well. And they've also, looking at their website, have done some new tool kits, but they're very Aurora-like in, hmm. their, in their design and in their, in their art and their boxing. Hmm. So kind of play into that same kind of theme. Now, are, uh, the, are they the folks that ended up with the Aurora Monster Kits? Or was that Polar Lights or Round 2? One of those companies repopped some of the uh, Aurora Monster Kits, or at least ones that they could get access to the molds. But I don't remember which company it was. That's that's possible. Um, I, I'm going on memory. I don't have the website up in front of me, but... Uh... I, I think, yes, they, they've done the Aurora. And I think one of these, there's a Boris Karloff mummy. 
And I yeah. don't know if it's an if it's an Aurora kit or if it's one they've retooled in that same vein, and it's made you know to look like an Aurora kit, yeah. kind of fit in with the rest of the Aurora monsters. I have to, a little more research again, high level. I'm not real sure. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, our listeners but, can who know can tell us. Sure. Yeah, that'd be great to send us a email or a Facebook post and set us straight. You mentioned round two. Round two is is really interesting. Um, they're interesting because they're I don't umbrella company's not the right word. They are because again, heavy into nostalgia, but Polar Lights actually is under their umbrella now, along with MPC, which is a kind of a classic American former former pay- maker AMT is under the round two banner and Lindbergh. So they've got a lot, they've got a lot of old, old tooling and a lot of, uh, a lot of history there. Um, polar lights is interesting that the round two has polar lights. The, the name polar lights is actually homage to, uh, Aurora. Aurora. Yeah. Um, so they've got a lot of the old Aurora kits that they've done molding them new again off the old tooling. Yeah. MPC historically is interesting because MPC on their own is primarily known for their auto- automobiles or car kits. Right. They also way back, way back when were the co-distributor in the U S of, uh, Airfix kits. Yes. I've got that in my notes here. They reboxed Airfix kits under a couple of different formats. Yep. The the two most prolific ones were the air combat ones, which had like an extra sprue of crew figures in them mm-hmm. that weren't that weren't in the airfix kit, and then uh, the profile series, which yep. was the airfix kit with a with an expanded decal sheet for usually three three I, different schemes. When I got hooked on seventy second scale models in my teenage seventy second scale aircraft models in my teenage years. Many of those builds were the Airfix MPC builds, the profile series. I remember those boxes uh, just like it was yesterday. My my memory is that, you know, I built some of them as well, but because uh, this kind of gets AMT and MPC together. In my childhood modeling days, I always associated, associated white styrene with crappy kits. <laughs> And the MPC used a lot of white styrene. Yes. And so did AMT and so did Airfix. Now back to MPC, they were the first licensee for Star Wars. Yes, they were. And then uh, we can move to AMT, which most uh, also mostly known for their automotive kits, trucks and fire trucks and vans and motorcycles and cars. Yeah. Uh, They were the first licensee for Star Trek. Yeah, I, I built the, the Star Trek, their yeah. original Star Trek. Yeah, Enterprise. they built they, they had the Enterprise in the in the sky blue box. Yep. And finally, under round two is Lindbergh, who've made a gamut of subjects over the years with really no standouts. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm, not that I, I know of. Now, no, I built some of their seventy second scale aircraft back in the day, and they were. Crude compared to Airfix even back then. So, yeah, it's a lot of 
early kits, but they did some unusual subjects that nobody else touched back then. And uh, I built their Kingfisher, and I remember I, I got the Kingfisher kit uh, yeah. at the gift shop of the, of the USS North Carolina. Yep. The, the battleship been, in, been in, in Wilmington. Yeah, I've seen the light show. Now, they also did a 135th scale T-55 that I built. I remember rebuilt. that. Rebuilt. <laughs> yeah, rebuilt is more like it. That came out pretty good, actually. Yeah, well, for the time, it, while the kit had its faults, I mean, nobody else had done a T-55, which... Mm, Lord knows why. Now there are so many T-55 kits, it's not funny. Uh, but yeah, I remember when theirs came out, it was a it was a big deal among armor modelers. So round two, they got a lot going on. Yeah. Especially for, for the nostalgia and the sci-fi, because I think there's probably some modern licenses still in there for Star Trek. I, I'm not sure who has that. I don't know if it's Mobius or round, or one of the round two brand or Polar Lights. No, nah, it's not Polar Lights. I don't know who does who who has that license now. Well, but yeah, s- s- somebody set us straight. Yeah. Uh, number six on the currents. William Brothers is still cranking out kits. Yeah. Now and, it's a uh, small kind of hob- hobby thing, and that's that's hard to believe. Yeah, uh, they have some molds, and they have some molds of things that nobody else did, like a. Uh, uh, a world cruiser and uh, a B10, which now uh, is going to be overtake, overtaken by the Azure From kit. But uh, 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 Boeing 247 um, and Williams Brothers apparently makes parts for radio controlled models like wheels and pilots and canopies. So it's it's kind of an interesting company from that respect. It's it kind of crosses boundaries, but yeah, there, there's some things that they, they made many, many years ago that nobody ever, ever touched before or after. Well, they're still at it. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I, you know, maybe, maybe the RC is their staple and they're just doing the plastic kind of as a, a niche kind of thing. Cause like you said, a lot of those are the only ones out there. Yeah, they are. Uh, number seven on the currents list is Ravel, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> um, maybe six and a half. <laughs> well, there's a lot of, well, it's kind of a misnomer that they're gone completely. Right. They, they filed Their the world listeners filed. may not, may not get this, but. Um, in, uh, you're the barrister, so maybe you should be doing this, but they, they have filed a chapter 11 bankruptcy versus a chapter seven. And right. the, the difference in U S bankruptcy law is a chapter 11 is a restructuring that gives you some lender protection. Yeah. And a chapter seven is they chain the doors and they liquidate all your assets to pay everybody. At so, the bottom line, that's basically it. And, uh, so, they they had a German subsidiary, Revell Germany, which got uh, once the bankruptcy was filed, got sold off to a German company. So Revell Germany is now separate from Revell, uh, and and I don't think they I don't think as far as the Chapter Eleven goes, I think it's still ongoing, and the 
there's not been, they haven't spun off a lot of times with these chapter 11 bankruptcies. You'll have a company that does a bunch of different things or has a bunch of different divisions. And one of the things that the bankruptcy trustee will do will take a look at, can I spin off some or all of these divisions? Can I sell them off and generate enough cash to resuscitate the remaining company to take it out of chapter 11? And yeah. uh, that may be what ultimately happens with uh, Ravel, uh, uh, or it may just get some debtor in possession financing or some uh, venture capital financing and emerge from bankruptcy, having uh, put itself on, on firmer financial footing. But uh, they're kind of up in the air right now. So given, given the current situation, we, we can dig a little deeper into Ravel historically. Um, just rolling back in time, it was Ravel Monogram for a while because Monogram and Ravel being competitors for, what, 40 years? At least, yeah. They were the two big, over, over exactly. the years, they emerged as the two big U.S. model manufacturers, and they were the two big competitors of each other. And then ultimately, like happened a lot in the 80s, I think, you got you saw consolidations take place, and they were brought under one company umbrella, the Ravel Monogram, and uh, and they co-branded it for a number of years yes, just to make did. the transition. Yep. And going back a little further, we'll, we'll go ahead and pick up Monogram as part of the Ravel history. Principally, forty-eight scale aircraft and thirty-second scale armor was their primary kind of their primary niches there. Um, I mean, their 48th scale aircraft are, those are, those are American classics, right? And. Oh yeah. Ravel and monogram are, you know, 72nd scale came out of England. Uh, that was once a scale was established, uh, frog, Airfix, matchbox, 72nd scale, uh, took hold in England. But, um, uh, 48 scale really developed in the U.S. and Monogram and Ravel and then Hawk and Testers were the folks that fleshed out 48 scale aircraft for the American market. So all of the 48 scale models we have today um, kind of owe a debt back to uh, those two American companies firmly establishing 48 scale as a, an aircraft scale. Now in the seventies with monogram, a, a, a big, uh, not, not sure what to call it, but, but a big blip on that radar would be for some of the 48 scale kits and almost all of the 32nd scale armor. Uh, they had partnered with the American modeler Shepard Payne and created these diorama uh, yeah. diorama pam pamphlets that were included in these kits that show oh, that <laughs> what what could be done with these things and yeah, yeah those that that brings back some memories there and and that's for me I know and, and possibly for you too those things went a long way to to making you want to go the to the next level 
Yeah. In modeling. Absolutely. Uh, there, there are whole generations um, that, of modelers that owe their start and their, their growth as modelers to Shep Payne and those, uh, those inspirational diorama booklets and, and such. Uh, it just the guy did some amazing stuff back at a time when, you know, all of the diorama yeah. stuff wasn't just off the shelf. You did it yourself. No, you had to do it all yourself. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, there's a Facebook page. You know, Shep Payne died a, a year or two ago. Yes. Um, by the way, I hear tell that uh, uh, his his home was amazing. If you walked into it, that it was just full of military and uh, just uh, amazing. In addition to having many of his diorama pieces in it, uh, but there's a Facebook page that's dedicated to keeping alive his memory and featuring many of those those works of art that he did. So with Ravel, well, mostly under under the monogram, I think this is right, but Aurora pops up again um, sometime in the late 70s or 80s. Was it monogram? Did the glow-in-the-dark monsters that were that were the old, old, old Aurora molds? I believe so. I believe it was... The, the Aurora molds kind of traveled everywhere and, and, and they got distributed. Yeah. Yeah. They they didn't, they didn't go as a unit. They were all over the place. Yeah. And they're all, they're all over the place now. Yeah, absolutely. And from, from a subject matter, you have to think, well, they were way ahead of their time because that stuff's still popular and is still around. Yeah. In fact, it's, it's kind of experiencing a resurgence, uh, as we have a generation of modelers who, um, you know, are into Gundams and things like that, sci-fi is a growing area again. And as part of that, the there's a whole new generation of modelers who are discovering those monster kits and those those early uh, Aurora kits. So they're that's one of the reasons those molds can be repopped is not just nostalgia for, for old geezers like us, but also uh, there is there. I'm sorry. Truth is true. But you know, there's a whole generation of, of kids coming along who never experienced those in their childhood, but are seeing them for the first time and sit thinking, man, these are way cool. They are. They are cool. I, I should build one. (laughs) <laughs> but I digress. Yeah. Back to Ravel. Two more, two more details about Ravel. Um, in the seventies, Ravel was, uh, the importer for Italeri. Yeah. And then to the bane of a lot of contemporary modelers, uh, Ravel was heavy into what we call box scale. <laughs> so was monogram to a lesser extent. And, to to those who don't know to what we refer, box scale is man. Some accountant had to be involved. Um, oh, there there is no question. Somebody got a deal <laughs> on boxes of a certain size. Yes. So all all the boxes were a certain size, and their their overpack was all pre calculated apparently, and any kit designed had to fit in a box of X Y Z dimensions. 
And XYZ was the exact same, no matter what the model was, whether it's a ship, an airplane, car, didn't matter. So that's kind of where this box scale term comes from. So, you, you know, you get ships at what? One 585th scale or something right. like that. Uh, airplanes yeah. at one one sixtieth, and then the next airplane comes out. And because the dimensions of the real aircraft are so much different, it might be one fifty eighth scale. I mean, just <laughs> zero consistency in anything other than box size. Yeah, it was the bane of of uh, many modelers for whom scale is important. Guilty as charged, or, or cons- consistency is important. Yeah. So, yeah. so finally, kind of in the gray, um, I'm going to mention Pacific Coast Models. They were also yeah. a distributor, but uh, they churned out a few 32nd scale and 48 scale aircraft. Yeah. Now, currently, they're not doing business to my knowledge, but it's interesting because uh, Kitlinks, who I mentioned in the in the listener mail, acquired Pacific Coast Models. Yep. Yeah. Well, you're lu- luckily. So, so maybe I need to ask Loic. No, no, I can. What's I can fill. I can fill you in on historical, because okay, uh, go for it. I happen to have at a national met the the principal of Pacific Coast, and uh, sat around drinking beer with him uh, in a seminar uh, at a at an IPMS national, and I wish I could remember which one it was. Pacific Coast Models actually was an Italian car parts importer. The guy who ran (laughs) it was an Italian car parts importer. And he would go over to Italy and he had an interest in Italian subjects, not only cars, but, uh, 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 you know, aircraft and all of that stuff. Well, there were models that you couldn't you never saw over here made by small italian manufacturers so because he already had contacts in italy and because he was already shipping uh containers full of parts car italian car parts to california to you know service all the ferraris and the maseratis and such he started importing these smaller italian model manufacturers and started a like who like supermodel well there's there's a supermodel but there's also there are a bunch of uh small resin and uh oh okay not just plastic not just plastic but there was some plastic too um and so he started a separate business as a model distributor just bringing in those things out of Europe, mostly out of Italy itself, and distributing them, um, and and became the uh, if you had an interest in in particularly World War II Italian aircraft, he was your go to source for a lot of uh, uh, a lot of kits and decals and for books, um, and then. After a while, it grew to the point where, um, because of the success of the of the uh, uh, kit importing business, is he he dipped his toe into manufacturing, 
and started manufacturing uh, I think mostly 32nd scale, maybe some 48 scale. Yeah. There's when I, when I looked at uh, like on scale mace, there was a, a lot of 32nd scale and a handful of 48. 48. Right. Um, started manufacturing kits. Uh, now he didn't do any of the manufacturing. It was all contracted out. Uh, and I don't know who was actually doing the manufacturing for him. Um, and then I, th- I think he may have passed away, and that's why Pacific. Co- uh, I don't, I don't know for sure. So, uh, if if you're out there, I'm not killing you off if you're still alive. But uh, uh, <laughs> for some reason, my memory sticks that he later passed away, and then that, of course, took the impetus out of Pacific Coast models, and that's how. They currently ended up in somebody else's hands. It, it was an interesting guy. I mean, it was really great to talk to him and, and talking to him about the fact that he had this Italian par cart, car parts distributorship and, you know, just having them since he's bringing containers over anyway, there's all this cool stuff in Italy that we don't ever see or didn't ever see over here. This was all pre-internet where you couldn't just order anything from any corner of the world um and well it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens to these 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 toolings yeah because you know there's some there's some really really nice 30 second scale manufacturers out there now in asia and you know i don't know how these compare it's not not my subject matter they are nice kits they are. They it'd be nice. It'd be nice to know if they're gonna. You know, does somebody have them? Is somebody still are already making them under some under? Uh, excuse me, some other label. Not or as far are they as just, I, not as far as I know. I don't know. What see, I think I think they're sitting idle because I I saw the subjects, and it didn't seem like they were things I'd seen. Yeah, you know, and scalemates will uh, usually tell you, you Kitty know, Hawk or Trumpeter or somebody right. like that. Right. And, and I could see somebody picking those up uh, and, and running with them because they, they are really, you know, uh, MC202, MC205, uh, MC200, uh, some very popular subjects. And as far as I know, nobody else does most of them in 30-second scale. So, um, so as, yeah. as we move on, that's, you know, I kind of put Pacific Coast in there at the end of the currents. Cause, uh, from, from my record, it looks like 2018 is when they kind of folded up. So yeah. it w- wasn't that long ago. No, so now, now I'm going to move to what I'm calling high tide. This would be the late eighties through, you know, the first part of the 21st century here. Um, we've already talked about most of these, so we won't go back into them, but I'll mention them by name only. We, we have Ravel monogram, MPC, AMT, Lindbergh, Minicraft, Williams Brothers. And then in that same time frame, uh, uh, Polar Lights and Glencoe kind of came on the scene. And then Testers started putting kits out on the Testers label. And Johan was actually a little older than that, but they were under their own brand then. Accurate miniatures and classic airframes. Now, at, at this during these this this span of years I'm talking about here, all of these companies existed under their own uh, own ownership. Yeah, 
So that's been a big shift. Now, mostly we've, we've talked about, so I'm going to jump straight to testers. Testers, when expanded into kits outside of, you know, glue and paint and all that other stuff, um, they had picked up a lot of the old Hawk kits, which was a uh, uh, 60s era, I think. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. You tell me. Yep. It you're was. older. You're older than me. <laughs> Got you back. So they were reissuing Hawk kits. Um, and I think Ian on, on the bench mentioned this, the, the, the U2 kit was probably Hawk's most venerable kit ever. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that survives still, I think, but testers, that's one of their more notable Reeboks or testers branded kits. Um, a little later, they were also they became the importer for Italeri. Yes, they did. All th- and um, were all throughout the eighties, maybe into the nineties. Yes, and in there's some original tooling too. Um, there was a stealth fighter that was mentioned on on the bench, and I, I don't know what else was original testers tooling, um, but. To kind of go down the Italeri rabbit hole, not a U.S. manufacturer, of course, but um, there's a lineage here that goes way back. Um, Italeri acquired tooling um, from, it was, the American company was Peerless, and Peerless was in partnership with a Japanese company called Max, Max Model Company or Max Plastic Company. And... Max tooled a lot of U.S. and British Commonwealth softskin vehicles, some field pieces, and a German RSO tractor. These kits were way ahead of their time because they they survive and they're still being boxed today by Italeri. Um, oh yeah, that RSO is. I think that's probably been in Italeri's catalog constantly for forty years. So I think. Peerless was probably the marketing side of this, and Max was the tooling part. Airfix even reboxed these kits at one time. Yeah. So the Air, Air, Airfix had a few 135th scale armor, well, soft skin vehicle, which were these Peerless Max kits. Yeah. Um, well, now that, they're getting back into 35th scale armor. That's true. But the, yeah. these kits were picked up by Italeri and then by testers into the American market. So, you know, a, a long lineage there of, of some... Uh, really classic tooling in the, in those, uh, max, those Japanese max, max plastics or max modeling tool kits. Yep. Okay. Here, here's one actually has a Kentucky tie in. All right. Johan. And it is Johan. It's not Johan. Right. It's Johan. Um, it's a contraction of the original owner's name, which was John Hanley, Johan. Yep. Um, in their heyday in the sixties, they were a competitor with, uh, MPC and AMT for, uh, car kits, automotive kits. Yeah. And they also made some, uh, clear plastic display cases that were available for like 70 seconds air scale aircraft and, and some, uh, 24th and 25th scale automobiles. I was going to say their big thing in both aircraft and car kits was having one kit from which you could build multiple versions. Okay. Two in one kits or three in one kits, where both in the car kit or the aircraft kit, you could build a different subtype of the of the subject. That's kind of what Johan became famous for. So here, here's the tie-in to our state of Kentucky. In 2000, Johan was purchased by Mister Oki Spalding in Covington, Kentucky. Really. 
Yes. And there's been sporadic and limited manufacturing for a few years after that, but it's kind of, kind of not much happening anymore, but I, I thought that was really interesting. That is. So that's Johan, Johan. I, I learned something new. I did too. This has been, it was fun looking up all this stuff, <laughs> to, even to the limited degree that I have. <laughs> yeah. Um, from this high tide era, uh, we have accurate miniatures, 48 scale aircraft. And I think, uh, they're notable because they were the biggest new tool and modernizer of, uh, us manufacturers since monogram. Yeah. Uh, they were contemporary with, with TriMaster kind of same kind of time for 48 scale aircraft. And when they came on the scene, it was wow. From, from all, from everybody, right? Who oh, was yeah. into 48 scale aircraft. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, I, you know, competitive market competing with the uh, Asian tooling and that sort of thing. They, they had a couple of ownerships before they finally, finally sold out, I guess. So cur- current status, I think is, uh, Italeri has a few of their tools and Academy has a few of their tools. Yep. The B-25, most notably, Italeri. But yeah, and that's what you see with a lot of these companies when uh, they go under uh, is the tooling is their one big asset and other companies come in and pick and choose the stuff that either fills a hole in their catalog or is perceived as the most popular of the dead company's line and they uh pick them up and and you know sometimes clean up the mold sometimes they don't and just start reissuing them so so finally from this this era is classic airframes and i'm not sure when they came on the scene 90s i think so 48 scale mostly is that right? Almost, yes, almost exclusively 48 scale. In fact, maybe exclusively 48 scale. Now, now there's, there's there's kind of an unknown situation right now. There's no record of any sell or liquidation, just kind of inactive, kind of. I think there's a story behind it. However, everything I've heard is rumor and speculation. So being a good attorney, I am not going to commit rumor and speculation to a uh, uh, a worldwide distributed podcast, uh, but <laughs> yeah, the, the I can confirm that those molds have not reappeared elsewhere, and they may be the subject of some dispute. There's always that, isn't there? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Don't owe people money. That's kind of the lesson I, I would imagine. Yeah, and of course that's hard to do in business. You got to get yeah, sure. uh, you got to get capital in order to uh, in order to make product. So finally, I've got what I call the the pioneers and the lesser knowns. Um, lesser known mostly because they're before my time, primarily. Some of these are before your time too, Dave. Thank you. First on the list is is not too far back. I, I remember a, f- a few, uh, but Hawk and you know testers picked them up, so we we kind of talked about that. Um, Strombecker, another early kit maker, Glencoe picked up a lot of that. And Aurora, 
and that's everywhere. There's, you know, a lot of people right now still making Aurora kits. Yeah. Uh, but there are two, there are two that are, that are, uh, are worth me. There were a lot, there were a lot more actually, not a lot more, maybe a half dozen, eight, maybe, but I, I picked out two and those were Palmer plastics and pyro. Yep. Now Palmer, now this is skewed for, from my memory and, and, you know, what I see it at model shows in the big, stash clearing sales and secondhand kit vendors. Palmer is probably their most notable in our market were their, their line of 124 scale cannons and field guns. Yeah. And these were from world war one and earlier. I think that the latest, most modern field piece they made was a world war one French 75 millimeter cannon. Yeah. But in all the rest are muzzle loaders. Yeah. Napoleonic Civil War, 16th, 17th century stuff. A um, few of those were picked up by Lifelike and Encore over the years. They may still be available. Uh, they're not particularly good kits, especially now. <laughs> yeah. Now, for Palmer, another thing they were noted for in their time was they, they, they had a line of 32nd scale and 24 scale automobiles. And there's a lot of muscle cars from the sixties in there and they have a pretty extensive line of pre 1976 Corvettes. So 75 and earlier in both scales, I don't know how good the kits are, but the, they, man, they did a bunch of Corvette kits. Pyro. They did a little bit of everything. I mean, they, Pyro they did, did um, wagons, stage coaches, <laughs> oh, world war one aircraft, a little bit of everything. Now, in looking into it, two of their more notable lines was they also did a line of 30 second scale, what I'll call vintage automobiles, like pre pre 1930. And they also have a line of one to one scale, early handguns, a lot of cap and ball and flintlock stuff. And then all the way up to like the civil war, you know, the wild West, a Colt, Colt 45 peacemaker was under the pyro banner. So that's about all I got for U.S. manufacturers. I think that that covers them pretty well. I think so. So anybody out anybody out there want to fill in a hole? Send us an email. Notice on Facebook. Send us a message. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll amend our list. But yeah, I think in summary, a lot yeah. of a lot of nostalgia left in the American market, and they're they're leaving leaving all the historical subjects to to other people. Well, we're going a bit long on this episode, so let's. Uh, what's your shout outs for the month? My shout out for this month. Oh, that's a good question. Okay, I well, I have one. well, my shout out. I'm I'm doing two of them. Uh, one is uh, I mentioned I've been reorganizing my model room, which makes me go through all my stuff and realize uh, things that I'd forgotten I have and. Uh, uh, I had forgotten how much uh, uh, resin and aftermarket and decals I had from uh, uh, Roy at Barracuda Cows. Uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever met Roy. He's out in California. He actually was a movie model maker, worked on some of the Star Wars stuff. Um, And now he does a company called Barracuda Cows, and they do uh, uh, resin upgrades and uh, 
decal sheets and they're really good stuff. Uh, you know, resin can be real hit or miss, but Roy's stuff is top quality. Um, so I wanted to get, he's out there on Facebook and, uh, I wanted to give him a little shout out. Uh, the other shout out is, uh, both IPMS USA and IPMS Canada. Uh, if you're not a member of the IPMS national organizations, you should be. They, do a lot for the hobby and do a lot behind the scenes that people don't necessarily see. Uh, they also do produce two of the best modeling magazines out there in the journal and RT. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys are members of their local clubs, but they aren't members of the national organization. And if you're not, uh, uh, give it a consideration, go online, look up IPMS Canada and IPMS USA and consider joining. It's well worth it. I'll give a shout out and a heads up again to uh, the IPMS Roscoe Turner in Indianapolis. There's a show coming up in about a week, and I'm sure they'd like everybody and their brother to show up if you're within a drivable distance to that show. So uh, we'll see everybody there. That means you got to get this episode out so that uh, uh, that they benefit from that shout out. Well, I, I would like to get it out so we burn two hours at least of our time that we're paying for. For the exactly. Month. <laughs> exactly. All, All right. right. Well, we probably ought to wrap it up. Sounds good. You Sounds good, they... Dave. So many kits, Dave. So little time, Mike. You take All care. Right. Good night. All right. Good night.